Welcome to The World in 10. It's a chance for me to showcase some of the articles penned for the Times of London from our columnists and contributors across the world. I'm Jenny Barsby. Coming up on today's edition, how lithium has sparked the white gold rush, plus an exclusive interview with Frances Haugen, looking at what's changed since she blew the whistle on Facebook, plus Manchester City's historic treble. All that coming up in the next 10 minutes. We start today's podcast with a special report by Times contributor Ed Conway titled The White Gold Rush, How Lithium Became Our Most Precious Metal. This article begins in the salt flats of Chile, the Salar de Atacama, containing what is now seen as the heart of our 21st century world. I'm talking about lithium. The thing that strikes you when you spend any time there is just how dry it is. Normal humidity you know, in the UK is kind of like 50, 60, 70 percent, sometimes more. There, it's it's maybe somewhere between 10 and 20. I think it was about 12 percent for a lot of the time I was there. And you just kind of notice it. You feel that kind of dryness at the back of your throat. You feel your lips are just cracking all the time. It's just a very unusual set of geological circumstances that has created this enormous reserve of lithium in the bottom of this salar, this, this salt lake. Ed writes poetically about this metal, which stores energy better than any other. So light it floats in oil, he says, so soft you could cut it with a kitchen knife, but so reactive that it fizzes and bangs when it makes contact with water and air. His article weaves in the history of how lithium became used for energy storage. He tells us Thomas Edison, at the dawn of the 20th century, was the first engineer to use it in a battery. Ed also discusses the environmental impact of extracting lithium, but more importantly, how the metal is beginning to shift the balance of power from fossil fuel-rich nations to those which have high concentrations of lithium. In the same way that the world of the 20th century was defined by the relationship between the West and the Gulf states, for instance, and places like Venezuela and all the places that had oil, the petro-states, including Russia, of course, the 21st century is going to potentially be defined by our relationship with countries like Chile, with countries like Australia, with places that have all of the, the lithium, also the copper, also the nickel, all of these minerals that you just need um, if you're going to make the, the batteries, the electric cars, the, uh, the gadgets and the gizmos that we're going to need if we are going to get to net zero. Sadly, I can only dip into Ed's article here on The World in 10, but I highly recommend it, as not only is it a lesson in history and geography, it also lays bare what the future holds for us and our mineral-based needs. Next month, Russia's social media warriors will turn their attention to the 80th anniversary of the Battle of Prokhorovka, a battle classed as a great Russian victory over the Nazis and the largest tank battle in history. But after reviewing archives, historians have discovered the Soviet army misrepresented the figures and that Nazi losses were far fewer than reported. With more on this story, let's hear from my colleague Amy Gill. Amy, by how much had the Russians fabricated those figures? Well, the short answer is a lot. In a piece in The Times this week, history correspondent Jack Blackburn has written that whilst Russia claims to have destroyed 77% of the Nazis' tanks, 
the Wehrmacht post-battle inventories. Now, these are the archives documenting what weapons the Nazis had after every battle, show that actually only 3% of the tanks were destroyed. Now, this isn't the first time the Soviet accounts have come into question. Jack told me that historians had raised concern in the 1990s, and perhaps even more importantly, some Soviet veterans themselves who were actually at the battle say they remember more of their own tanks being destroyed. It's important to note here that this particular skirmish was part of a larger offensive called the Battle of Kursk, and by the time of Battle of Provkarovka, Nazi defeat was actually already imminent. So why then would the Soviets lie about the number of tanks they destroyed? Well, Jack told me the theories. One uh, story that goes around um, is to do with one of the generals involved, General Pavel Rotmanstrov, who received an irate phone call from uh, Joseph Stalin, the Soviet dictator uh, in the Second World War, um, who's demanded to know why they'd lost so many tanks. Um, and as I think most listeners can imagine, getting a phone, an irate phone call of that from Joseph Stalin um, is a bit scary. And it, it's possible that Rosenstroff had um, made up some grand figures to save face. And then here we are, some uh, 80 years later, as it will be next month, with this legend still persisting and now still very much being part of the Russian propaganda machine at the moment with the war in Ukraine. To read Jack's article in full, why not take out a Time subscription? Now, cast your minds back to September 2021, when a Facebook employee, Francis Haugen, blew the whistle on what was then the fifth biggest company in the States leading to the publication in the Wall Street Journal of a series of articles known as the so-called Facebook Files. They outlined how the company, in Haugen's words, profits over safety. Now, after that time came appearances at the US Congress, the European Parliament and the UK Parliament. And I came forward now because now is the most critical time to act. When we see something like an oil spill, that oil spill doesn't make it harder for a society to regulate oil companies. But right now, the failures of Facebook are making it harder for us to regulate Facebook. But in the year and a half since Haugen blew the whistle, what has actually changed? It's a question asked by The Times West Coast correspondent Danny Forston in today's Sunday Times. He's interviewed Francis, and his article takes a long look at her away from those explosive events in the autumn of 2021 and what, if anything, she's actually achieved. He writes that since then, Europe has passed the Digital Services Act, while Britain is progressing the online safety bill. But Facebook is now used by three billion people every month. That's roughly three quarters of all internet going humans outside of China, where, of course, it's banned. Danny tells me Frances sees her testimony, though, as the start of the battle. She's dedicating her life to this kind of crusade now. She sees this as, you know, um, the classic, you know, the arc of history is long and bends towards justice. So she sees this as the beginning. And she's written this book as part of the kind of this growing case um, to build against these companies, against this industry. And so she is not uh, at least um, she's putting a brave face on it. She's like, look, this is going to take many, many years. And we need to build consensus that there is something wrong and that we need to approach this in a completely different way. And that is she sees it as her job. And what's the other thing, the other interesting thing that has that came out through my conversations with her is that she really feels uh, perhaps not surprisingly like she is 
she was almost chosen for this and she's in it for the long haul. The Power of One, Blowing the Whistle on Facebook by Frances Halgan is out now. To order a copy, go to timesbookshop.co.uk. Now on Saturday night, something historic happened in the world of English football. And it is all over! The dream is carved into glorious reality! Their wait is over! Manchester City have won the Champions League. And with that 1-0 win over Inter Milan comes the historic treble. Manchester City is only the second English team to do so, the other being arch-nemesis Manchester United way back in 1999. That means, of course, they hold titles from the Premier League, the FA Cup and Champions League all at the same time. And fans, well, they're over the moon. They have been just the most beautiful team to watch. Um, so talented, so committed, but not everybody's believed that. And now, hopefully, with this, people just believe it. You know, in recent seasons, we got so close, but just couldn't quite get there. And now that we got it, I think this will be the first of many. I really do. Many of the plaudits are, of course, being handed to manager Pep Guardiola, described by former Premier League midfielder Andy Townsend as one of a kind. He sets trends, he sets standards for others to follow. We're now playing the game almost that he invented a little bit. Mm. Nowadays, all these teams playing out from the back. He's been doing it for, for years. Everyone's now copying it. And I don't think coaches like that come along that often. They yeah. don't. Um, and it'd be very interesting to see... Uh, Again, watching them next year, how, how much he wants to kick it on more. The Times of London, of course, has a minute-by-minute write-up of the game, with sports journalist Martin Samuel concluding the win was made all the sweeter because of the fight it took to beat Inter Milan. And that is it from today's World in 10. We're back tomorrow. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.